If you have your Bibles this morning, the scripture reading will be from the book of Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 7 through 26. Um, if you don't have your Bible, there should be a pew Bible in front of you. That will be on page 1131. Again, John 4, 7 through 26. The word of the Lord says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. A Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are writing saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now near when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you. Am he? Your Bible's open to John chapter number four. As we look here, I do want to encourage you real quickly on the 26th, that Friday night of VBS, uh, we are going out to the Vollmer farm. We're going to have a cookout. We're going to have games and all kinds of stuff. But I do want you to know as a church, you are invited. So no matter your age, um, use this as an opportunity to minister to people that are coming in for our VBS visitors that will be visiting Please plan on coming out there. It'll be a great time from 6 to 8.30 out there in the back 40 at the Vollmer Farm. Grab you some ice cream on the way by and just come on back out. Yeah, you come eat, have a great time, and, and in, invest in those people that are coming. So I want to make it clear that is a church invite, not just a uh, kids and children invite, but uh, you guys are all invited. John chapter 4, we have started this look at the call of Christ as we look at what Christ calls people to be, what Christ calls people to do, 
and what we are to be as followers of Christ, we come to this story in John chapter 4. Now back up real quick in John chapter 2. If you look back to verse 25, it says, And Jesus needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. We saw that last week, even as we in Luke 9 talked about the scribe and Jesus knowing the thing that consumed him as he said, yes, I will follow you. And Jesus says, no, unless you forsake the idol, the comfort, the thing that you uh, are consumed with, you will not be my disciple. And here we come and Jesus knows what is in man. In John chapter 3, a very familiar story of Zacchaeus, uh, this Pharisee, this educated, religious, theologically trained powerful man that comes to Jesus to find out how he can have the kingdom of God, how he can enter the kingdom of God. And we would all say in that moment in John chapter 3, yes, Jesus, this is the guy you want. This is the guy that can do great things for the kingdom. This is the guy that we want in our church. Money, power, influence in the community, theologically trained. Yes, Jesus, get him to believe and he'll do great things for the kingdom. But you'll know in John chapter 3, the Bible never tells us whether he believes or not. We don't find that out till later in the book of John. We are left in John chapter 3 with this picture of the Son of Man being lifted up like a serpent in the wilderness in verse 14. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then to the most common uh, verse that most people on the street would know, you get to John 3.16, God so loves the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so you have this thing, whoever believes has eternal life. If you don't believe, you're condemned. Those that believe are in the light. Those that don't believe are in darkness. But Jesus, John chapter 3, that is the guy we want. But very clearly in John chapter 3, it says, whoever believes. Whoever. So Jesus, who does that, who does that mean? I mean, obviously, you have this Pharisee. He, he would believe. We want him, right? That, that, that guy can believe. Jesus, who else believes? Get to John chapter 4, and we come to this story. It's the exact opposite of what we see in John chapter 3. Nicodemus, educated, respected, powerful, theologically trained. Here is a Samaritan woman, uneducated, not respected. No one going to the well with her. She's a Samaritan. She is a woman. She is the exact opposite of the very one we see in John chapter 3. And so the question here is, can she believe? So we see in John 4, 6, Jesus comes, he is wearied as he was on his journey, and he is sitting beside this well. It's about the sixth hour, it's about noon. And Jesus is weary, showing Jesus' humanity. Uh, for all of you that were in Awana or here on Awana Sunday, uh, the, the, the kids were learning about Jesus' divinity and how he is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He is the Creator God. He displayed God's glory in John chapter 1, verse 14. He is the display of God's glory, God in flesh. But here we see Jesus is weary. This woman comes to draw water, and Jesus says, Give me this drink, for his disciples have gone away into the city to buy food. He's weary, he's thirsty, he's hungry. 
And for most of us, if that is us sitting here at this well, we are not in the condition or frame of mind to witness. Right? We have our one-track mind, if you're anything like me. If I'm hot, I'm not in the frame of mind to do anything. I'm just cranky. You can ask my family. Right? Heat doesn't, it's not, it's not my favorite thing. Hear Jesus, hot, hungry, thirsty. And he, in spite of this, sees this woman. His focus is still heavenly. In fact, nowhere in the story do you see where Jesus actually ever gets a drink. Doesn't tell us he ever gets a drink. He enters into this conversation with this woman. But his desire here is to point this woman to the very thing that she is longing for. The things that, that, that she consumes him, his thoughts, his actions, his conversations, is to point this woman to the thing that she needs. So what does Jesus call this woman to? Number one, Jesus calls this woman to see him differently than other men. Jesus says to her in verse 7, give me to drink. The woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans? I can only imagine that this is not the first time this woman has been to the well at noon and met a Jewish man. In fact, we will find, and you, you, as you heard Jay read, she has had interactions with men, and they have not worked out well. She's been married five times, divorced, and now is living with a man that isn't married to her. But we can imagine as she comes out to this well that is along this traveling route, this is not the first time she has come upon a Jew. She seems hardened. As this man asks her for a drink, she says, why? Why would you be any different than them? Why are you different than the other men that have met me and looked down on me? In fact, she says, For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. If you have an NIV, it says Jews don't use the same vessels as Samaritans. We don't have anything in common. Why? Because in the Jewish tradition, to even use a vessel that a Samaritan had would cause you to be unclean. If you remember, even as we studied through the book of Numbers in Numbers chapter 4, as Luke walked through that passage, everything Jesus touches does not defile him. Everything that Jesus touches makes it clean. She says, whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't want to touch this pot. You don't want to drink from here. It will make you unclean. And what Jesus is soon to reveal to her is, listen, I am different than everybody else. The God of all creation in human form here as a man is going to demonstrate to her, I am different. Here is a woman that has this conversation with this man. She is not flattered that he has asked her for a drink. She is open and honest about her feeling. But Jesus calls us to see him for who he is. Not how he is portrayed. Not like other men. And while Jesus is thirsty and weary and hungry, he is so much different than other men. This woman had everything going against her. She was a Samaritan. The Assyrians had conquered Israel. They had taken captives and moved 
Assyrians and foreigners into Israel so they would intermarry. And this is just a reminder of the judgment of God and how the Assyrians had come and they had intermarried with the Israelites. The Jews looked down on her. She was this woman. The Miznah records that the rabbis thought it a waste of time to teach the Torah, the word of God, to their own wives or daughters, much less to teach some Samaritan woman. She was an outcast. She had come to the well at the sixth hour. Noon was not customary time for women to come to the well. They came in the early morning or the evening. If you were outside yesterday, as we were at uh, Colton Kylie's soccer game, noon is not the time to be romping around outside. And yet here she is at the well by herself. She does not seem to be the kind of woman other ladies would come by and ask her to go to the well. She didn't get the phone or the text or the instant message, hey, heading to the well, come hang with me. No, she is there by herself. And yet, Jesus approaches her differently. Folks, no matter what your situation that you are here today, No matter if you are powerful, have influence, you've been in church all your life, you're theologically trained like Nicodemus, or you are the person in John chapter 4 that is like this woman who is an outcast. You look at your life and say, no, I know what people look at me like when I go to church. Steve, if you knew my background, you wouldn't want me sitting in this church. If people know what I have done, they wouldn't want me in here. Can I invite you to meet Jesus? Because though churches have treated people like that, while so-called Christians have treated people like that, Jesus is so much different. Jesus engages with this woman and begins this conversation And he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is, who is the gift? Jesus' gift. She is talking to the gift of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. This is the gift. You are talking to him. And who it is saying to you, give me to drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Secondly, Jesus calls us to look at what brings true satisfaction. Can you imagine walking out of town with a well, to a well with this heavy pot of water? Carrying it on your head in a hot, desert, noonday sun? It seems futile, doesn't it? I mean, think about it. If you sweat anything like I do, you would take this pot, you'd take it out of the well, you'd fill it up. By the time you got back, you probably would have drank it already. Right? And you'd have to turn around and go do it again. I mean, this is a exercise. It's hot. It's sunny. And here she is going out to get this water. And Jesus says, if you knew the gift, this, this satisfying water will not satisfy. I can give you so much greater. I can give you this living water. What is he talking about, this living water? If you knew who was asking you, well, John has already revealed to us in John 1 who this Jesus is. Who is this gift? This gift of God is none other than the creator in the beginning 
God created. The Word was made flesh. He dwelt among us and he, we beheld His glory. John chapter 1 verse 14. This is God sitting in front of her. The one that created her. Hey, you know, I, if, if God knew my background, God knows what I've done. God would never love me. God created you. God gave you a gift. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, here standing in front of her is the gift of God. And he is offering her living water. What is the term here, living water? Well, this can have two meanings, and she takes one, and, and you actually see this through the book of John. Even if you go back to John chapter 3, Nicodemus doesn't understand Jesus' teaching, right? Jesus says, you have to be born again. What does Nicodemus say? I can't crawl back in my mom's belly, right? I can't, can't be born again. Well, here, Jesus says, I can offer you living water. Living water is a picture of a spring-fed well that would not dry up. And this is exactly what Jacob's well is. Though it was deep, it was spring-fed. It was living water. It wasn't stagnant. But living water is also used as a picture in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 2.13 My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. This is God. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. In fact, the prophets in Zechariah and Ezekiel speak of a time when living water would flow out of Jerusalem. Much like Nicodemus, she has a very earthly view, not a heavenly. And she says, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Where are you going to get this spring-fed water? You, you just asked me for me to give you water because you got nothing. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his son and his livestock. And here she tries to engage him in this theological dialogue. Look what Jesus says. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Are you greater than Jacob? This is the same picture. If you go back to John chapter 3, Jesus, the Son of Man, will be like this serpent that was lifted up in the wilderness. But what is the difference between the serpent lifted up in the wilderness that people would look and put their faith in, and as they would look, they would be healed? But guess what happened to those people? Awana kids, what happened to the people that looked at the serpents? Eventually they... Died. Thank you. Good man, Levi. I knew you'd listen, buddy. If I had candy, I'd give it to you. Talk to me afterwards. Right? They died. Jesus says, you want this living water. You want this water out of this well. But guess what happens with this water that you're so proud of? Jacob's well. What is going to happen when you drink from that? You pick up that heavy pitcher. You carry it back into town. Guess what you're going to have to do? See you tomorrow. Right? Because this thing that you are dying, you're, you're desiring to satisfy you, desiring to bring satisfaction in your heart, guess what it does? You may get this moment of satisfaction, but you're still going to be at this well tomorrow. And Jesus says, that's not the water I offer. Because as the Son of Man was hung up on that pole, guess what? All those that looked at that serpent, they were going to die eventually. They all died. Those that looked at Jesus... Never die. Here he says, listen, those that get, you drink from this well and you think this well is all that, you'll be drinking here tomorrow. 
You'll need more water. But whoever drinks from the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. So you ask the question, are you greater than Jacob? Yes, I am. I can bring satisfaction that lasts for eternity. You're desiring this water from this well and you'll thirst again. The woman said, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and don't have to come here to draw water. Again, her satisfaction was in what? An earthly view of God, if you really love me, if you really would be kind to me, then you would give me something that would make my life here on this earth a little bit easier. Man, it'd be great. I have indoor plumbing. They didn't know about that back then, but man, wouldn't it be great? I wouldn't have to walk all the way out here to this well in this heat. That is what I want. She's missed the point. And Jesus, knowing her heart, right? John chapter 2, he knows what's in their heart. He says, let's get to the real meaning, your definition of satisfaction. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. You can imagine as the woman hangs her head, but honestly answers, I don't, I, I don't have a husband. Waiting for the condemnation, Jesus says, you are right in saying I have no husband, but you've had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. She had not lied to him. She didn't have a husband. She has tried and tried and tried to find satisfaction elsewhere. Her life has been wrapped up in, and you can imagine, ladies especially, here she is, their big wedding feast, they have these huge parties, and she comes to the first time she gets married, and they have this huge wedding, and this is it, my life is fulfilled, I'm going to get married, we'll have our nice little house, we'll have a couple of kids up on the hill, and man, it'll be perfect. However long the period of time was, it doesn't work out. So she gets married again, and maybe this time, I learned from the last time, she gets married again, and it doesn't work out. And she gets married again, and it doesn't work out. She gets married again, and it doesn't work out. She gets married again, and it doesn't work out. Finally, she said, this marriage thing for the birds. Right? Much like our society today. Why don't I just live with them? And so she lives with this man. But once again, Jesus is not there to condemn her. Oh, he has pointed it out and she very quickly changes the subject. She says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. The Samaritans believed in the Torah, the first five books. They didn't uh, believe in the, the, the rest of the Old Testament, but here in this idea of you are a prophet or the prophet, Deuteronomy 18.15, where it, it says, hey, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, like Moses from among you. She doesn't want to stay on this topic of marriage long. This topic of marriage is not getting her anywhere. It is a glaring red mark on her. She knows that she's outcast. She knows that she's not looked well upon. She wouldn't even be looked well upon in our society. And so she says, sir, I, I perceive that you are a prophet. And Jesus says, or, and she says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Thirdly, Jesus calls her to consider 
her worship. Folks, we were created worshipers. Even as we went through that catechism class uh, with the church a couple years ago, the chief end of man is to what? Glorify and worship God forever. It's what we've been created to do. And here she says, hey, let's have a discussion. You're, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. We believe that this mountain right here is where we're supposed to worship. You say it's in Jerusalem. Let's have a good theological debate. There's nothing to get us off topic about the, the wickedness and the, my, the ruinness of my life like a good theological debate. So let's debate. Where do you say we should worship? Because we believe it's here and I'm sure you believe it's in Jerusalem. Jesus said, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem Will you worship the Father? You will worship, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here. What is he saying? Once again, right here in front of you, this gift of God. And if you read the book of John, you will find the time is coming, the hour is coming, the time is coming. He says, Listen, it's not so much where you're worshiping. The discussion should be who you're worshiping. You want to argue where we should worship. The method. The building. All these things are tradition. What I'm asking you is who are you worshiping? Because the time is now here. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Folks, listen to me. Evangelism is not just... It's not this idea of just, well, we just need to pray this prayer so we get a ticket into heaven. What Jesus is saying is His evangelism is to return people to what they were created to do, that when they... Believe in Him. When they repent and believe in Christ, they are returned to worshipers. That is what God is seeking. God is not seeking people to just claim that they have this golden ticket into heaven and show up at church once in a while and act right and and seem like a good person. What God is looking for and what he says here, the Father is seeking, he is seeking people that believe on Him, that repent and believe and worship Him. God is spirit. It's not about a building. Jesus died on the cross. What happened in the temple? Curtain was torn. And what is he saying? You don't have to go to a building. Why? Because God is spirit. He's everywhere. It's not about the building. It is not about the place. You can worship God anywhere. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Jesus is calling us to see once again who he is. Why? Because worship is not an option. Worship is an obligation. For the believer, worship is not an option. It is an obligation. Her worship has already been revealed. Right? Back in 15 and 16, she is worshiping herself, man-centered worship. I want water that I won't have to come to the well. I want to be loved. I want to be in this relationship. I want to be in these things that seem that they will fulfill me and my interest. 
My worship is about my life and what is easy for me. He says, true worship. Must worship him in spirit and in truth. That is why true worship must be biblical. To truly worship God, we must know who God is. And while our world around us does not want to admit it, folks, listen, there's a difference between the God of the Jehovah's Witnesses and a God of Mormon and a God of a Buddhist and a God of Islam and the Hindu and the God of the Bible. He says, listen, you need to know who I am. That is why As we come to this place of worship, true worship must be biblical. It is why in a time of worship, we must open the word of God and study it. This idea of worship is just this time where we get together and we raise our hands and have this emotional time. That is not the worship. It can be part of worship and it can be worship. But worship must be centered around truth must know who God is. The time has now come, Jesus says. God sets free those to worship who have received forgiveness through their repentance and belief in who Jesus is and what he has done. But true worship also engages the mind. We often believe in our churches today that true worship is not authentic unless it, we have this feeling. I mean, I just, I, man, today I really worship this just feeling came over me. But worship must be more than a feeling. My buddy Matt always said this. If love or worship is a feeling, then I worship my dentist. Right? Anybody probably in that dentist here and your palms start getting a little bit sweaty? Knees start shaking a little bit, right? I have this feeling, I mean, this warm moment, right? That was my plunge. No, worship is not a feeling. Worship must engage the mind. And folks, listen, if we come here and we come to worship in the way that much of our society lives, I no longer feel like I love you, so I'm going to get a divorce. If you watch the news at all, I no longer feel like a man. I want a surgery. Now I'm a woman. Now, just recently, I don't feel like I'm Caucasian. I feel like I'm black. So I'm going to be the head of the NAACP in Spokane, Washington. Our society is all about what? How is it that you feel? But to worship in truth and to worship in, in spirit, worship is a conscious activity. We have often become spectators in worship when the only spectator in worship is God. Worship is an active participation of our mind. Even when we sit here and sing. Even when we sit here and listen to a sermon. Stop right now. Stop right now. If I had you stand up and think about what you were just thinking about. Or if I said, how many of you have thought about lunch today? While we've been in this sermon. How many of you have thought about the race today while we were sitting in this sermon? Colt has. I thank you for your honesty, Levi and Colt. Right? Hey, our minds wander everywhere. Are we prepared for worship? 
Because the end of evangelism and the end of this repentance and belief must end in worship. And Jesus reveals himself to this woman and lays it out plainly when she says, the woman says, I know that this Christ is coming, he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus says, I am he. I am he. This term for I am God, I am Jehovah, I am this Messiah. And very quickly, isn't it interesting? If you look down, the woman leaves her jar in verse 28 and goes into town and says to this people, Whoa, she left her jar. She goes into town and says to this people, what? Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Isn't that an int- Why that? So I told Catherine as I was studying, why would she say that? There's a whole, I mean, you can tell a lot about this story. There's a whole lot of things she could have said. A whole lot of things she wouldn't have wanted to say when she said, come here, this man, tell me everything I did. Whoa, that's a laundry list. She runs into town, and her belief drives her to what? Worship. She runs to town and tells, hey, you have got to meet this guy. Jump over real quickly, and we're done. Verse 39, and many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. And they, they, they repeat it. This was her testimony. Come meet this guy. He knows me, but he still what? Loved me. He knows me. He still offered me living water. He knows me. He knows my sin. He knows my heart. He knows my idols. And he still Converse with me. He offered me living water. So the Samaritans came and they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. But we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. She invited people to Jesus to find out who he was. And it drove them to believe. Very quickly and we're done. What you believe about your salvation, your repentance and belief, is demonstrated by how you worship. What you believe about your salvation, your repentance and belief, is driven by your worship. Isn't it interesting that in John chapter 4, the one that actually begins, hey, if we put Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman up next to each other, Nicodemus is going to do the greater things for the cause of Christ. That woman has issues. But when Jesus changed her and her worship changed and her what she worshipped and her true satisfaction changed, what does the Bible say? She brought her talent to Jesus. Why? Because she was eloquent? No. Folks, number one, we must all come to Jesus as this woman. 
We must all come before the throne of grace realizing if it isn't for Jesus, we don't have a chance. Ephesians 2, we're all dead in our trespasses and sins. And if you are here and have never met Jesus, you are this woman. You have no hope. Come meet him today. But the second thing is, if you have met this Jesus, then where is your worship? Because if worship is a state of the mind and the worship is a state of the heart, But even as you walked into church today, we recorded what you said and what you have talked about since people have gotten here. What, if any of it, has to do with Jesus? It's amazing to me, even myself, I'm not not condemning you, but how little we really talk about Jesus, even when we come to church to worship Jesus. We'll talk about what we did in the weekend, what we're going to do this week, what was going on today, what's going on tomorrow, and none of it has to do with Jesus. When's the last time we just got together and praised Him and worshiped Him and honored Him, even outside these walls? She wasn't in church. She went back to town and they said, whatever she's talking about, we got to figure out because she is worshiping something. It has changed. I've got to meet this man. And they go out and say, now we know him and we believe. Who are we calling to be worshiping God? God is looking for those that would come to him and worship him. 